Regular listeners will know I'm a bit of a fan of Apache Kafka. I think it's a great system for storing data, for processing it, and just for shipping it between different parts of an organization at scale. It's great if moving data from A to B is your job, and so often it is. And in software terms, Kafka's a very mature project. It's been around for over a decade. It's got a large, stable user base. It's got a large, stable committer base who are actively moving it forwards. And it's a backbone piece of infrastructure for a lot of big companies. So in one sense, Kafka's arrived. And I got really intrigued when I heard about a company that took a look at Apache Kafka and said, let's keep the protocols the same, but we'll do a complete rewrite of the implementation in C++. That's a bold move for any company. Why? What's their motivation? What's so important that you want to take on a project of that size and maturity? And what are you actually rewriting? Are you rewriting the entire stack or just parts of it? Are you being completely compatible or are you deciding to make tasteful breaking changes? And and most of all, what do you think you can do differently this time around? Now the whole industry is older and wiser. Lots of questions to ask. So today we're talking to Christina Lin of Red Panda. Red Panda are that upstart company taking on an Apache staple. And I've seen in the wild, I've seen people using a mixture of Kafka and Red Panda in their tech teams. So clearly Red Panda have added something to the software world. Let's see what they've got to add to the conversation. I'm your host, Chris Jenkins. This is Developer Voices. And today's voice is Christina Lin. Christina Lin, thanks for joining us. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. I'm glad to see you here. How are you doing? Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm doing. I'm doing great. Great. I've got. I've got many questions for you because we share. Um, uh, we sh- kind of share a background. You are currently uh, head of developer relations for a red pa- for Red Panda. Yes. I was heavily into developer relations for a Kafka related company. So we. <laughs> two sides of the same wall right i love that i love that i guess we can have a really good conversation then yeah 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 so let's start off with with the big issue which is okay red panda kafka similar space but why do you even want to be in this space um yeah i can kind of talk a little bit about it from my perspective um as my career evolved so i was doing a lot of java programming back in the days right so and then i started a a, um a a position in an insurance company and at the time we're doing a lot of like soa and a lot of work and you know when it's soa it's a lot of like system integrations and um, services integrations Uh, and that is when i get into well, we started using a lot of like IBM, con- like IBM solutions, but it becomes very clumsy. So, and that's when I started doing a lot of like Apache Camel. So that's how I get into the Camel space. So I was doing a lot of data integration, and and the time I also was working for JBoss, and that was why I got into Red Hat doing a lot of JBoss work. Plus, I got to do a lot of my like very like lovely camel project as well with the camel crew and all that. So it was great. A lot of system integrations and I kind of see why like um, a lot of um, the need of 
you know, having data integrated. And we were using messaging queue at the back, right, for for SOI integrations and all that. So messaging right. queue was, I was heavily using messaging queues from IBM MQ to, um, you know, uh, active MQs and web MQs and all that kind of stuff. And that fits in naturally when Kafka came out, we were like, awesome, this is a, a lot faster um, you know, streaming services for us to kind of quickly get data in and out. Like it was able to get a lot, get a lot of IO throughputs for that. So we love that. And so that's why I kind of work and Camel was kind of introducing Kafka as part of as ecosystem. So that's why I got into Kafka and kind of um, using that as the backbone for system integrations to pass through to build that, you know, microservices backbones and stuff like that. And then um, I, when I was looking for other solutions and I was kind of looking into Quarkus and we were kind of introducing, it was kind of at the time mm-hmm. where we were using Quarkus. And I saw this like really tiny um, container because Quarkus was um, introducing this like really tiny container. So people doesn't have to spin up the whole like, you know, backend services. You can, developer can quickly run things. And I saw this Red Panda um, solution. I was like, what is this thing? Why is it? Because at the time, Kafka still needs, you know, zookeepers and, you know, all that, you know, brokers and all that. I was like, why do I need, why, why do I don't need all that kind of stuff to actually start developing? And so that's why I started looking into Red Panda. And that's why I got into this space of, you know, Kafka and Red Panda. I kind of, I hope that answers your question, but that's how my, how I learn about the whole data thing. And I really like the data aspect of things. So I'm slowly getting back into the data engineering and learn how data engineers were using, um, you know, the streaming platforms. And I think there's a lot of potentials for future um, development as well. So that's kind of how I got in that. Yeah, yeah, that's a story. The shape of a story I've heard a lot, it starts with desperately wanting to ship data between different systems and then right. grows, right? Yep. And often as much as we talk about real-time data, it's it's just sheer the effort of connecting data from A to B yes. that is the killer use case. Yes. So from what I know about Red Panda, like you talk about smaller um, uh, container sizes, that's one of their big pitches, right? Compared to Apache Kafka, Red Panda is kind of going chasing the size, uh, performance, deployment ease. Um, yes. benefits, yeah, I think right? when, when Red Panda first got out, it was very well known for its performance and the size of its container and how much um, like resource it needs to adopt, right? So I think that is, I think that's why people start to adopt Red Panda is just because of the simplicities and the size of it needs to execute the similar stuff, right? So that's kind of how I see it and how people first got into it. But it's um it's a curious road they've taken to get there to do okay to look at something like Kafka and say I'm assuming this is how it originated you look at something like Kafka and you say I would like this to be smaller and faster I'll rewrite the whole thing in C plus plus right I think well this question should go directly to our CEO our founder because he actually wrote the entire project <laughs> but when I asked him about this question because I think he was very well into the low latency um, streaming RPC at the time when he was okay. working for um, Concord and he was doing a lot of like low latency streaming development at the time so for him I think when he was starting to develop this application he was facing a lot of unpredictabilities and you know a lot of the um, the things when when they have higher traffic throughput, things crash or 
when you get a machine that's able to handle the load, it is super expensive. So I think as a developer, he's trying to figure out a way to kind of become more efficient on processing the data and getting data streamed. So that's why I think he started to look into Apache Kafka because he was solving that problem. And then he was able to find a way to kind of develop things. And I think he didn't first start with C++. Um, I actually asked him, like, why did you choose C++? And he was like, no, actually, I started with Rust. <laughs> okay. Right. And then I think at the time when he was developing things, the Rust wasn't mature enough. I guess it is now, but at the time it wasn't. So he has to go back to his favorite C++. He was developing a lot of C++ program already. And I think it was one of the um, the framework in C++. actually solved a lot of problems Um, um in C++, that actually solved a lot of um, problems for, for, for us, right? It's the C-Star C framework. The C-Star. C -star, yeah, C-Star framework is a very unique one because it allows um, a lot of the parallel asynchronous programming inside your computer. Because if you think about your computer, your computer is... Um, is consists of CPU, and CPU is split into many cores, right? Yeah. And, and how... A lot of the um, a lot of uh, the programs were developed. They were developed in a way that you know a lot of things were taken. Um, you were kind of use oper operating system to kind of um, make things a lot more flexible. So it loses a lot of the control over how the CPU works and how the memory works, right? And I think. Kafka was developed in um, Java. I think Java is a great program. I am a Java developer for okay. <laughs> two decades now. Um, I love Java and I think it's a great program, but I still think there's a benefit of different tools for different um, for different purpose. And I think in terms of controlling the hardwares, C++ is, C++ is a better language for that because of how you can kind of use, um, utilize cores. So instead of, you know, remaining, um, relying all the mem memory management um, for JVMs, um, relying on your operating system to do context switching um, for your CPUs, um, the C-Star framework allows us to control everything. So, you know, so we can, we can kind of allocate the amount of memory per core. So this core will control this part of a memory. And that fits great with the Kafka nature because, you know, remember how Kafka works? It has a lot of partitions and yeah. then you're writing logs in it, into each partitions. So basically we can assign multiple partitions to a single core and this core will just take care of all the things in this partition. And this would avoid context switching because um, I think a lot of people has this misunderstanding of what is causing the latencies of writing data into my system, right? A lot yeah. of people think the problem was the disk, but it is not anymore because we're not in a very old disk space where we have one single, like, you know, like little pinhead we're trying to kind of write data into. Yeah, we're no longer spinning space. a magnetic disk. Exactly. We're not spinning anymore. We're yeah. working working with um, SSDs with NVMe architectures, meaning that I can write multiple times into the disk um, and having them... Um, having all this data allocated in our disk in very different place because how the file structure works as, you know, the XF, XFS, sorry about my pronunciation, is allows you to parallelly grab your data quickly from your, your disk and then put it back to the memory. So in terms of that, your disk is no longer the problem. Your CPU time is the problem. And being able to utilize CPU allows us to quickly grab the data and pr provide it to the users and, and vice versa, doing the same thing to quickly put it back into the storage. 
And that's why I make Red Panda super fast with that C-Star. And I think Alex saw that, and that's why he implemented everything with the C-Star framework. And that's why it's the secret behind why Red Panda is super fast in terms of you know performances and um, you know the lower latencies, uh, low tail latencies and all that kind of stuff. Okay. What, what kind of year are we talking about for this, this um, whole... I think it was three, four years ago, maybe. Really? That recently? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I know some people will be disappointed that you didn't stick with Rust three or four years ago, but. Um, I mean, I think it was just at the time, maybe a little bit earlier. I don't, I didn't exactly know when Alex was, was implementing Rust. Maybe it's a little bit earlier, but uh, yeah. yeah, this is from what I know. Okay. Fair enough. Then, then there's the question of like, Okay, if you've decided you're going to rewrite Kafka, do you know why it's decided to stick to the exact protocol? Because you can, as I understand it, you can drop in Red Panda um, and largely have your writers and readers, your producer, producers and consumers, right. transparently work with either. Yeah, it's just because I think um, the number of users, we don't want to, because I think from Ring Zero, which is the broker side, and then you've got the client side, right? Um, so I think when Alex wants to do it, he wants to kind of also support that ecosystem for the Kafka users. So that's why we choose to adapt the Kafka APIs instead of inventing our own. So we can provide that faster Ring Zero experience, but also providing that for the existing Kafka users. So that's something that we try to solve. It's similar. I always put that as analogy of cars, right? Car is a very good thing where you can hop on it, driving it, and then you can get to the places. But how you build a car is different. So over the times, we have really nice um, diesel cars, petrol cars, and then now we have electronic cars. I think it's just how you build the cars a little bit different. But the way you drive it, we wanted to, we want the user to have the same experiences and kind of how things are built. But internally, how it's done, is it is up to the um, the car manufacturer, right? So similar. Yeah, no matter how they implement it, you've got pretty much the same user interface exactly. on the car. Right. Exactly. Yes. Except I can never find where the heated mirrors are online. <laughs> Always in the wrong place. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. I, I can see I can see that the that you want to keep the same protocol to like reach the same user space. Right, exactly. Right. Yes. What where do you draw the lines around that? Like how much of wider Kafka do you want to rewrite in C++? Is it just the broker? Are you targeting Kafka Connect next, for instance? What, what, what's, um, what's the scope of the project? Um, currently, I think what we're going towards is more on the, again, the Ring Zero experience, right? So not, not actually the connector itself, but the actual broker we wanted to kind of make, because... Red Panda is a very small company compared to the large community out there for Kafka and even Confluent is a multi-million dollar company where they have a lot of money to throw around. But, you know, Red Panda is very small. So we want to make sure that we invest things in the right place. So we want to make sure that we give people the best experience um, from we can how we can kind of control. So we focus on the ring zero experience on that. So we don't expect to expand a lot outside of the connectors. We expect to work with the connectors. Um, we work with the community. Um, so for example, Friends Go, um, which is the Go library for connecting to Kafka, was developed by one of our engineers. He was kind okay. of 
donating to the community and you know kind of show people you know how this is done and we we were talking to them we're we try to we we try not to be the enemy of of the community we try to be friends because we all work in the same um we're trying to make this space better right so giving people more choices this is what i think we should be and how the community should work all together so i think we should um so so to answer your questions, I think for us, it's more focusing on the broker itself. So things on top of that, I think we're, you know, we added the, um, the, con- the Red Panda console, which allows us to kind of have a very nice GUI interface um, for developers, for them to see what's going on. And then I know there's a lot of like, you know, um, projects out there that can do the same thing. But I think it's for us just to kind of make it more, more smooth transition from you know, people to see what's going on and maybe yeah. use that on top of even Kafka as well and all that kind of stuff. That's where we're I focusing on right now. Diplomatically, I would say there's plenty of room for more development in the Kafka user interface. Space. Yeah, I think there's, you know, like, you know, different op- opinions sparks um, different ideas. And I think that's a good energy to the community. Um, mm. Not just, you know, if, if you all have people speaking the same thing, then you're not going to have innovations. Yeah. Do you know, it makes, it reminds me, I was um, at another company talking to some people who worked there uh, last year and they used Kafka in production, Mm -hmm. um, but all their developers locally were using Red Panda. (laughs) That's the first time I heard about Red Panda. And I want to ask you, why do you think they would have that divide? You know, I think we're seeing the same thing. Like from me, uh, from the community side, I I see the same thing. I see a lot of developers were kind of using Red Panda internally as a development and they have like Kafka because their operations staff kind of decided on using Kafka. I think it's just the easiness of how to use Red Panda and how to start it. Um, I think, you know, adopting Kafka from as a beginner, I don't think it's the most easiest thing. First, you have to understand Java and a lot of the uh, the people I talk to right now are uh, Python developers, Go developers, Rust developers. I don't yeah. for them like Java is intimidating. Um, and then to download the package and then at the time you you still have to start the Zookeeper and then you start the you know the broker. It takes for them a lot of I, they just it, it's harder to get around. So for them to start Red Panda is one single binary they started up and they can start working i think for them it's easier and then uh, the footprint is a lot smaller um compared mm. to what it's taking up so i think that's one they want to do even quarkus well I, I think i mentioned that i the first time i heard about it is quarkus and when they were doing the the dev suite it was when they um the dev suite is, is a way that um for developers to not care about you know setting up the environment that they need to work on it would just work for them and you know the dev suites can has Red Panda in there speaking that it's because they're when I, I actually talked to the people that adopted, they say it's, it's smaller in footprint, it's easier kind of to get it started. So I think that's why. And I was working, I was working on a, um, a project, um, a test container. I don't know if, I don't know if you heard about test containers, but I think they're, um, a little bit. pretty well used in Spring Boot community, right? Cause they were using that for, you know, testing and local development as well. Um, they have, I, I've seen their download rate for, um, compared to Kafka and Red Panda. I think Red Panda is pretty good um, in terms of usage. People can just download it and use that as their inter- internal development um, platform. So they don't have to get all that thing started. So I think that also contributes to that. Do you, I mean, that, I got to push you a bit on that because uh, th- that, that landscape must be changing a bit if, where Kafka's moving away from having a separate consensus protocol of zookeeper to, to it being eternal 
Meanwhile, you've got Red Panda. I mean, I'm guessing if you want to do something really interesting with it, you end up wanting to bring in Kafka Connect or maybe Kafka Streams. Do you think that single binary argument is still valid or is it eroding? I think it's still valid, right? I mean, for me, I d- so I, the, the developers I talk to um, doesn't really use the connect that much. Um, they are using Python to develop um, and connect to um, Kafka. So I don't see that happening. Um, and Kafka Streams, um, Kafka Streams is just an API you put on top of the broker, whatever broker that you're using. So I don't think that's going to be a determined issue for using Kafka at all, right? And Kafka Connect, and, and since I'm in, I am a Camel developer, um, a very long time Camel developers, um, I write my own Camel components. So for me, that is independent. Whatever I put underneath the hood doesn't really matter. I'm writing the integration on the top. So I, for me, I don't think that's a big issue for, for that. And especially now, I don't, I, I'm starting le- to hear less and less about Kafka streams. I think more people yeah. are going to Flink. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of push. Yeah, Flink, yeah. For the past two years, it's all about Flink. Every every time when I do a Flink course, you know, people just come in and they want to hear about Flink, right? So, um, I think it's the push of Flink that kind of um, added benefit to us because you're kind of free from you know embedding a particular solution for that streaming streaming services, right? So, um, I okay. don't think that's a big problem for us. So from that point of view, presumably you're looking at Flink as a as a good thing competitively. Yeah, it it's frees great you up part. from having to compete with like higher level infrastructure stuff. Exactly, and th- I think yeah, I and, see that. Yeah, because and I think a lot of people were adopting Flink because of the SQL nature, and then I think KSQL was introduced. It was introduced. It was a good idea, but I don't think it was. It, there, there were problems with KSQL, right? So um, I think you know Flink kind of solves that extra layers problem. Um, yeah, so. I'm, uh, I'm going to try and keep my <laughs> knowledge in this space and my biases out of it. But I, I wanted KSQL to succeed more than it seems to have done. Let's just right. say that. Right. I liked it a lot. I would have liked to have seen it continue to a glorious future that I don't think is going to happen now, sadly. Yeah. But this, this raises the question of how are you seeing people use Red Panda in production? I mean, a lot of Python developers. You can tell us a bit about OCaml. When you talk to users, what are they doing with all this? Um, so currently, um, our major customer base are more um, performance oriented. That's the beginning. Like if you look into most of our customer base right now, um, I'm seeing a lot of users that they were they were they were having problems with Kafka, basically with the performances and the number of machines they need to start up and a lot of management problems. And I think it was the past, past two or three years, I think, building up all that. So they were kind of switching to Red Panda. And that's the most of the use use case I see for now. But now I'm starting to see a lot more since we added the um, the BYOC um, uh, offering from, uh, from cloud. So I think we kind of convert a lot of the people that wanted to have a quick cluster running on their own cloud account. You know, we kind of have that. And so I'm starting to see a lot more less experienced Kafka. Before it was all very experienced, like Kafka users. So we got really hard question to solve. Like, how do I get like, you know, number of performances, like latency numbers, you know, up for, for less hardware usage and all that. So that was yeah. a lot of problems we had to solve. But now we're seeing a lot more, you know, like in the mid-journey mid, mid journey, um, 
range of people where they are trying to get into Kafka, but they don't know how to do it. And kind of, we help them to do all that kind of stuff. Okay. So you're seeing more people just casually moving over from presumably right. starting their journey still with Kafka? Um, I think most of them, when they come to us, they would know a little bit about Kafka. Well, I'd see one or two exceptions, but they're very little, right? Compared to the majority of the people I see, they're still, they still know Kafka, but they want to experiment with other things. So I think they're just looking for the second opinion and, you know, different options okay. for these type okay. of features. My loyalty here is to the ideas and the architectures rather than specific implementation. So I've got no skin in the game on that one. <laughs> okay, so when you said you you have a Go client, this is another thing I wanted to look into. So you said people are using people are intimidated by Java, but this is C plus plus. I can't believe the general programmer is less or more intimidated by C plus plus than Java. You've got Go as a main client. What what's how are people interacting with Red Panda language wise, and how are you supporting that? What development are you doing in that world? Um, for us, I think we kind of just that Go France Go project was kind of donated as a open source project, right? So anybody wants to use that, even connecting it to Kafka, we're happy to okay. do so, right? So that's something that we do. Um, but our main focus are still in the in the broker space where we're developing yeah. a lot of like auto rebalancing, leader, leadership rebalancing and all that kind of stuff. And then we are also, I don't know, we're also working on something called Wasm. I don't know if you heard of our Wasm project. WebAssembly, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, our WebAssembly yeah. project is something that we're working on. So we're trying to, because we've seen this thing where people are building, you know, very simple data pipelines where they're only doing very simple transformation stuff or validations or very simple, you know, data conversion masking. And yeah. it needs to have a lot of data ping pong because you need to get it out um, from a socket and then put it back in, right? So this is something that people do. And we were thinking if we can have this in the broker, let the broker do all the processing. So before it, it reads out from the memory, does its thing, and then put it back in the memory. So there's right. no huge... Uh, round trip between the networks and all that, that would make things a lot faster. So can we have this built into the broker and without you know having external things going on? And the idea of bringing, bringing WebAssembly was because Web, WebAssembly is a very flexible engine. We can use that to compile different type of languages like, you know, Rust with Go and with Java, with Python. So developers can freely choose whatever language they want to use for this very simple, you know, um, transformation pipelines and put that yeah. in the broker. So I think externally the Flink um, services will be outside of, of your broker, which is doing a lot of like traditional complex event processing and a lot yeah. of like time window based processing internally with these, you know, very simple stateless you know, transformations, everything can be done in the broker level. So you don't have to do a lot of, you know, um, data data transfer in the networks. And uh, we see a lot of networking costs occurred um, for, you know, people using a lot of petitions. You can see replication all around. So if we can kind of eliminate that, that would help a lot. So I could see that for like, this is just splitting a comma separated string into a list. You You would want to do that in a more lightweight way than Flink, right? Yes, exactly. 
yeah, I can see. I can see that makes sense. Are you in any way enforcing a boundary for what you consider simple or complex? There. Um, yes. Um, so we do. So we think that you know, if it's something that you need to kind of hold its state, that is a complex one. So for yeah. things that you don't need to um, kind of, um, you don't have to uh, keep its state, then it's a simple stuff, right? Um, because the reason, because is when we deploy the um, the the data pipeline into the broker, there's several brokers in your cluster. So Red Panda needs to kind of copy all your pipelines across the broker in order to get all things done inside its own little machine, right? So hmm. in so we can't so keeping the state of where the pipeline is 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 going to be a very um, huge workload, and you kind of have to know all the status, like all the other worker status. So we don't want to do that. We want to make right. sure everything is simple and easy. So we want to sure. So if it's stateless, it's simple. Um, then it is. But but again, like. The, the reason we're doing that is because there's a lot of um, people there not utilizing their entire hardware. But if you already have a very busy broker um, that's taking up 100% of your CPU time, it is probably not a good idea. So you probably need a, a couple of different nodes for that. So it all depending on situation for situations, but I think it's going to eliminate a lot of like uh, network costs and latencies and all that. Yeah, I can see provided it's contained, that's going to... Um... But you always want to separate storage and compute, but once you've separated them, you want them to be really close. (laughs) Exactly, right? Um, They would be sitting right next to each other, but still separate. Exactly. You want to, like, the fastest time, drop time of that. Okay. I I could happily dive into the guts of how that works in implementing the WASM uh, runtime engine. It, but. It's still a um, work in progress for us right now. We're still mm-hmm. developing it. Currently, we got um, um, the Go engine running for Wasm, but we're still okay. working on the um, the Python and Java part of the, mainly the Python because majority of our users are Python users. Um, but then we still have Java users we want to do. But I think that is uh, something that we're working on be- simply because um, the way that they handle memory is a little bit free, um, compared, freely compared to what Go <laughs> yeah. does. Um, so how we write the assembly engine to make it work for internally with the C++ with our, you know, thread per core architecture, it needs time. We need time to actually get that thing work more efficiently. We can just plug that in, but that's going to, that's not, that is going to cause us um, performance issues. We don't want to do that. So we want to make sure that we kind of see, we can manage all this, the, the, the memory usage and like how we treat all the core, how it's used in, inside your computer. Yeah, so that's something that got- we're working on. You've got that classic sandboxing problem when you let users execute arbitrary code on your yeah. machine. You've got arbitrary problems, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's something that we're working on, and we're also working on other things like you know, also not just the um, where the the broker part, but also the cloud services part. Uh, we're trying to launch our um, serverless. Um, solutions, which is like something for developers so they can kind of spin up, spin out, spin up a, a, a topic where if they wanted to do that. So okay. with the more to, to actually get more um, exposure to developers, because now they're, they, most of them were just running in locally, but we wanted to have that, you know, presence in the cloud as well, other yeah. than um, BYOC. I think BYOC kind of does a better for us, but I think we want to ex- um, include it in that footprint as well. That connects to something else I saw about Red Panda, because if you're doing bring your own cloud, right, I want to know what you, if I bring my own cloud, what you offer on that. And also there's something about you using native object storage in Red Panda, which I think is related here, I wanted to ask you about. 
Okay. Um, yeah, that'll be good. Um, cause I was actually, I, I talk about this in current, um, 20, uh, this year, I'm um, in current oh. YLC. And actually some of the um, people that was managing the Confluent car came to me and said, you know, this is an awesome idea. And they were the back engineers. And like, they, they were like, we should do that. I was like, no, don't. <laughs> but um, yeah, but I think it was the way that we did it is um, we don't want it to be direct management. It, we don't want like it's it's a, you know, a user or from Red Panda to go directly into the cloud because it's not safe. And we don't want it to be very manual in order to, because that's going to cost us a lot. So we want it to be automated safe. So the way we did it is we had an agent, which is a very small VM that gets deployed into the um, the uh, the customer's cloud. So this enclosure is customer cloud. We don't have access to it. They, the right. customer needs to install the agent in their cloud and we'll be controlling everything from outside. But we don't go directly into the cloud. We have the agent to pull requests from our controller plane and then does things on their own, does all oh, okay. things on the cloud. So everything is isolated. And with this particular data plan, it, when even when things goes wrong with the control planes or whatever we want to do with, with Red Panda, your things still stay intact because you actually have your own little ecosystem of your own cluster. You're working with the cluster, you're working with everything. And then, um, and then the controller plane is just kind of doing all the updates and all the patchings, you know, all that kind of stuff for you. So basically we just issue a bunch of commands and an agent just pulls it and it just does that on your own like cloud and just kind of fix things for you there. Okay. So if something goes wrong with that link, you can't change anything, but nothing stops running. Yeah. Everything yeah, that makes sense. running. There. Yeah. I can totally see that argument. Yeah. And, and I think for people, what they like about it most is um, working inside their VPC <laughs> because... <laughs> yeah. Because that VPC is a cost, right? For, for the traffic goes in and out. So I think what people like about it is like, oh, I can put that in my VPC. Yeah, that makes That's sense. So again, there seems to be a kind of cultural focus on the developer experience side. Is that something, is that something you're deliberately focusing on as kind of a competitive advantage? Or is it just when you're smaller, that's easier to do? I think we put a lot of effort in terms of user experiences. There's a user experience group internally inside our company where we think about user experience a lot, right? So mm-hmm. when we push out a a um, a new feature, we want to think about how how easy is that for from a user's perspective? How can I make that easy for developers? We constantly make changes. Um, I think from what you're saying, if the company is smaller, it's easier. Yes, of course, it's always easier because you don't have to go through 300 meetings in order to get one feature change, right? Yeah. So definitely, yes, that's going to contribute to it. But I think it's the way that we fig- we we design our product. I think it's kind of make it. So for instance, the um, the data rebalancing and that can be done um, automatically. So Red Panda will automatically detect what's going on inside each partitions. If it gets um, too busy within one node, we'll shift things around automatically for you without you Ooh, knowing. Okay. Tell so, me more about that. I didn't know about that. <laughs> so yeah, of course. So we do like automatic data rebalancing because the way that we do things, um, it's very different. So, so Kafka claims that they do KRAFT, but KRAFT only applies to the controller side of the story. So where it used to do things in Zookeeper, they move it to KRAFT. But underneath the hood, KRAF is doing whatever Zookeeper was doing. And then you still got your petition, your ISRs and all that, doing all the replications and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But Red Panda underneath the hood itself, we don't have a actual controller of things. All the partitions forms a, a raft ring. So you can see a lot of rings inside Red Panda. So there's no one single, you know, bottleneck where if it breaks, everything breaks, right? So it doesn't have that bottleneck. So all the partitions, elastics on leader, leader, and then, you know, just figure things out. So that's how, like, how independent each one of the, um, the partition works. So in terms of that, so we get a better, you know, failover rate and all that kind of stuff, right? Other than that, I think we also have a lot better communications between like each node. So we know we prioritize each partitions. Like, Hey, if your partition, like if in this node has too much partition, we'll automatically, you know, kind of figure out which one is the less, um, busier node and we'll kind of rebalance everything. Oh, so you rebalance who is currently managing that partition. Right. Dynamically. Yes. Okay. And is that transparent to the user? Do I see, I don't see that on the consumer producer side. Yeah, I do, I, you don't see that. Everything is done internally within the broker itself. And we'll just tell the consumer, hey, the leader has changed and, and this is where you're going to get it and all that kind of stuff. It's very That's similar to thing. But I think Kafka is a little unique in that terms because Kafka client itself is very smart. Kafka mm. client itself does a lot of, you know, you know, determining where do I go and how you can how sticky am I am and kind of figure it out. The, the broker itself is, is dumber compared to the messaging queue we used to have, right? It's, it's it just does all the. I know it's doing yeah. a lot, but it's it's just doing the replication and all that. So I think a lot of it becomes the the job of the um, the client. So the client needs to know a lot in order to kind of speak to that. So we have to also obey that protocol from the client, so we can kind of fit into all different versions of that. Of course, we have a limit, right? So some of the less efficient um, consumers, you know, algorithm will probably just not do that anymore. We'll just say we only support to this versions of client. And it's, it's, it's good for the users as well. It's because it's more efficient. So we'll do that. So we'll, we'll kind of work with that um, client code in order to get better balancing for both consumers, leaders, and data partitioning. Okay. Surely that's going to, once you switch the partition leader, some point that's got to trigger a consumer group rebalance that the client does see, though. Yes, yes. So we're, we're part so of the, that. The, so, the cause and the management of it is automatic, but the client, the client will, will the, the programmer doesn't have to change anything, but the client will do some work in cooperation with that rebalance. Yes, yes. And then okay. we kind of, we, we kind of honor that, right? So, you know, like the, the sticky corporate um, way of doing things, we, pref we prefer to kind of stick to where it was before. So there's less movement and all that would we'll, we'll do, we'll do the same. So that's why we have priorities, right? So we'll shift the one that has less um, consumers and you can kind of see which one is, we prioritize them in the I, I can kind of send you a link of like how we prioritize it, but there's a lot of like logics you need to kind of figure out, like, you know, yeah, yeah. the CPU, the bandwidth, and then how many consumers and like all that. And then how, how fast is like how, and then also IOPS and all that. And it becomes a determined factor and then we can kind of rebalance everything. And do you do things like watch how long that problem lasts before you do something about it? Yes. There's a timeout thing as well. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I, that makes me think. So one, th the the way consumer group rebalancing used to work was stop the world, rebalance everyone, start again. Right. And it wasn't too long ago that they changed that to only if you're being reassigned, you have to right. stop your work and give up and come back. Which I'm assuming 
You do, but that raises the question, which version of the Kafka protocol are you actually following and how far back do you go? Yeah, I, currently, I can't really tell. I, I don't have a vivid number like where we go, but I think we, we, we actually try to match the most current one. Actually, we bring up some of, I think from, I've heard that from one of our engineers. He actually um, started talking to the, um, like the client community, like talking about ideas of, you know, how, how, how can it be more efficient from the client side in order to have that communication. So he actually does work with the, the client groups to actually get that thing working as well. So, yeah. Hmm. So, but you, which, so you're tracking the latest version of the Kafka protocol, you say? Yes, we do. Yes. You must have a fairly large team just dedicated to doing that. That's enough work in itself, right? Uh, I don't know exactly how many people were there, but I know there's not too many. <laughs> okay. I mean, how large is the company? Just give me a, an idea from that size. Um, I think we're about 200-ish. 200, okay. Yeah. In Silicon we're Valley size, so. that's fairly I modest. I don't know how many exactly because we're still growing and we're still hiring and all that. So I don't think we have a lot of people right now. Okay. So if you're growing, where are you going with this? You've mentioned Wasm. Yeah, so yes, Wasm and then serverless, of course, in order in order to support all the customers. So we also have managed Kafka, of course, that's already there. Managed Red Panda services, that's already there. BYOC, and then we have now bringing on serverless and then Wasm. And then we're also working on this. Um, so we already have tier storage, which is, I think, um, Kafka doesn't have it, but Confluent already has it, which is kind of offload the... Um, the, reten- the the non-retained data offloaded to the um, the object store, right? So yeah, you don't the hot, have to keep the hot stuff in SSD and the rest you push to S3 or whatever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yes. So we do that. And then we also added something called um, re-remote replica, which is you can rehydrate your um, an entire different cluster. So you have your operational cluster here. I think a lot of the data engineers loves that, you know, that, implementation was they can still have the operational side of the the house of working with the current clusters but when they're trying to you know do you know backfill all the the jobs that they need to run say they have to kind of go back to three days ago four days ago to run a long large and process a large streaming data what they can do is mm-hmm. they can have a separate cluster which is rehydrated with historical data and they can kind of use that as as the part where they can kind of use that to run their their process and their jobs there. So it's called re-remote replica, which is kind of use, reusing that, you know, S3 object store that we have to store historical data as well. Oh, right. So it's not quite the same as something like cluster linking. Uh, you join one cluster to another. It's are you more like reading the same object storage for a different cluster. Exactly. Yeah. So that, okay, that's, that's more interesting. for data. I think data engineers love use that a lot more for for example for the microservices user this is a lot less because i think for them is this is just a traffic control centers where they can relay their messages but for um for backend you know data engineers they need a lot of historical data that wasn't stored somewhere or that wasn't stored into databases or that is in data lake but it's actually easier to kind of see the um see the flow of how the data was coming in the logic of data and like the historical like timestamps of it that they like to see that that way so they'll process it from there i'm curious about that 
why would you not just connect to the create a new consumer going further back on the existing cluster? Because that's going to sacrifice the performance of your current running brokers, right? You can also do that, but then you're going to rehydrate a lot of the data from your historical data into your current broker. So you're sacrificing part uh, of your broker's performances. So in once you're in the tiered storage world, you're going to mess up that hot cash section. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's yeah, going to sacrifice. see why that'd be an issue. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and then the huge, I think... What I see the company right now is a is a split between you know operational side of the house and then the analytic side of the house. I see a lot of you know op- I came from the operational side, transactional side where you know everybody's doing microservices. You know it's everything's yeah. containerized and you got micro, you got, you got Kafka underneath the hood and all that. But then same time I see the new side of the house where analytics where they were just picking up the streaming side of the story. They were starting to learn Kafka and they used to use a lot of Spark. They used a lot of like MapReduce, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. they don't, they're starting to kind of get the data. They're starting to get real time data because now for machine learning, they have, they need to kind of produce a lot of data sets and the data sets are the, the, the way the data science request them were kind of random. I don't know, like depends on how they implement it, but sometimes they have to go back way back for a lot of data and, they need that. And also they want to have like real-time machine learning. I think a lot of them were adopting that real-time machine learning. So they are trying to get that thing hooked up. And I think from this yeah. side, there's a huge um, gap compared to where operational people were so full, like so confident, like they know how to use the Kafka thing already. But here, I think they're still doing that. Yeah, yeah. You kind of want to isolate yourself when you're massively experimenting, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, and how about you? Where, where as head of DevRel for Red Panda, where are you taking things into the future personally? <laughs> so I'm still, so I, you know, when, when you say DevRel for a startup company, I think most of the startup company doesn't know what DevRel is. <laughs> so I think I'm doing a lot of technical marketing instead of doing a lot of DevRel stuff because okay. there's just this huge gap of um, things that needs to be filled um, in order to, you know, do a lot of, before I can go off and, you know, start speaking. Because once I do that, I don't, nobody's creating contents and you actually need people creating um, technical content that speaks to the developers and the people that knows the technical stuff instead of like really fluffy, you know, marketing messages, right? So I'm doing a lot more of that and I want to grow the, the educational side of the story because I feel like there's not enough educational content for Repena, for instance, teaching people how typical works and teaching people how how does that inter- how does that what does that mean in order to maintain a Repena cluster. And I wanted to kind of make that easier for and I think there's not a lot of enough course. Uh, there's a lot of course for Java developers already for using Kafka, but not enough for other languages. So I want to like build on top of that. So maybe build a better like you know educational content for for my users as well yeah yeah i can totally see that and agree with it but that spreads you very thin yes we do have two people like in our team but it's still this we still need a lot of things to do yeah there's always more education to do okay final question and this is really like uh, the two final questions if i want to go and use it there are two things i know need to know the first is what's the license for red panda so it's uh, it's 
Actually, uh, you can use it if you don't use if you, you don't use it production. So, okay. What is it? I forgot the name. Like BS BSL. Um, BDL. B B BDL BSL. I forgot. Like yes, sorry, I forget which. Yeah, I, yeah. I can yeah. always forgot about the the terms. But yes, but I think it's it it is free for use if you use for development. And um, if you're using it for production, that's when you kind of need it to reach out to us. And there are community features you can use um, freely in production. There were just a few um, enterprise paid features that you need to reach out to us in order to kind of get it started. So for instance, the auto balancing part where I mentioned, um, yeah. and then the um, the tier storage, the read remote replica, which is the part you kind of have to, you know, um, work with the license uh, Rependa okay. cluster. Okay. Okay. And if I want to get started, what do I do next? Um, well, you, what you need to do is um, go to our website and then there's a getting started with Red Panda. That's the easiest path. And then we also have a university that teaches you how to get started with Red Panda. Oh, very nice. Very, uh, do you get a plaque? Yes. <laughs> you get a plaque and a certification. <laughs> Well, Dean Lin, I will uh, leave you to go off and write more courses at that point. Thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. Christina, thank you very much. I'm going to go and check out Red Panda. I'm going to kick the tires and see how similar it is in practice. And one thing I'm definitely going to check out is the GUI. I hear whispers on the grapevine that that's how certain people from the Kafka world have got hooked in. So let's see what it's like. If you want to check it out, as always, I'll put links in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, as always, please do take the time to like it and share it and rate it and whatever. And click subscribe if you haven't already to catch next week's episode. But until next week's episode... I've been your host, Chris Jenkins. This has been Developer Voices with Christina Lin. Thanks for listening.